Chaz Mostert and Lee Holdsworth win the Bathurst 1000 with Walking Chaw and Dreddy United. Jamie Winkup retires from full-time racing and the Festival of Speed was a great success. All this and more on this Bathurst 1000 review episode of the Racing Line podcast. Good evening, guys, and welcome to another episode of the Racing Line podcast, the second for this week. Tonight, we're going to be reviewing the Bathurst 1000 that took place at Mount Panorama um, on Sunday day and afternoon. What an epic race we had in store for us this week, and there's a lot of talking points from it. Gents, thanks for jumping on with me. Boy, do we have a few talking points tonight and a really epic race that we get to review. What an absolute perler. What an absolute perler we had over the course of the weekend. All right. So just to so that for anyone who is listening on that might not be aware of the situation that we're talking about tonight. Um, to finish off the Supercars Championship at uh, Mount Panorama, Supercars along with the um, Australian Racing Group and a few other organisations uh, decided to put on what has been termed the Festival of Speed, which was essentially a week's worth of on-track action around Mount Panorama where we, or the fans were able to see, you know, our loved supercars, but also the TCR category, the S5000 category, GT World Challenge Australia, Trans Am, Carrera Cup, um, and I, I think of Super 2s, Super 2s, two, so it was Toyota uh, 86s, so it was an absolute... Um, all the best categories that we have in Australia at the mountain together for essentially a week's worth of racing. And, and what a show um, Bathurst and all of those separate entities were able to put on for the fans. I mean, I had, I had channel 504 on the second screen at my work desk all day. I think you had the same going Joe and Harry. And what were your initial thoughts on, on the, on the spectacle that was presented this week? I think I was saying it before was that um well number one the most surreal thing was turning on watching Foxtel um on a Wednesday and getting a competitive race it wasn't practice it wasn't it, it wasn't like a, a rundown it was actual racing on Wednesday practice sessions and qualifying on Tuesday um but I think it was the, the greatest thing about it was that we got to see every sort of professional category of motorsport in this country like the, on four wheels over a week. And um, what it did was put all the categories on like one show for um, motorsport fans in the country, and and realistically, all of them on show had probably the the most hallowed circuit in our nation. And um, I don't think anything can go wrong with that. I mean, we saw great racing in all the categories. Um, we saw these young drivers who two of them we've spoken to on the pod, and a, and a lot more really get to show their talent. Um, and then it was all capped off, capped off with the um, the show, the race that stops a nation every year. What do you have to say about that, mate? Yeah, I, I thought it was awesome. Same thing as Joey. It was great seeing some racing during the week at a time where we didn't have to wake up at a stupid hour or stay up to a stupid hour. Um, and I'm really loving the S5000 series. Um, you know, I think Aaron Cameron did an awesome job you know, there, there was there, those cars going at the top of the mountain there looked awesome. Um, 
yeah, really enjoying that whole series and, you know, the V8s. What, what more can you say? What, what a race. Yeah, I think it was really quite special to see as many categories as we got to see. And I think something that at times we can take for granted. I mean, we're always thinking about the big categories, about supercars or, you know, Formula 1 or all mm. those kind of things. But I think what this weekend really showed me was how excited I can personally be or get for some of our smaller categories as well. I mean, like Joe said, being able to watch something like a Trans Am race or a TCR race on a Wednesday, I didn't think I'd feel as invested or eager to watch those races as I was. And that was something that was really great to see. And if anything, hopefully what this weekend has done is really broaden the audience for some of our smaller categories in the country where in some situations, you know, we're waiting for the supercars or things like that. This was a chance for those smaller categories to really get some seat time. And also for some of our younger drivers, people like Nathan Hearn, who absolutely dominated in the Trans Am, people like Aaron Cameron, who, you know, was really competitive, super competitive in TCR, but then also took out the... rapid. Yeah, he was rapid, if we're going to use that word. But he also took out the... I don't I forgot what the, tri- the trophy was called yeah. over the last Trans- weekend. Trans-Tasman. Trans-Tasman, whatever it might have been. Yeah, Tasman Cup. Trans-Tasman trophy. Um, so that was awesome to see as well. Um, I, think, I think that also what it highlights was that um, there really is a pathway up to the top category in Australian motorsport now. I mean, even seeing... Um, well, we saw... Um, Cameron on double duties in the TCRs and the S5000s. We saw Hearn doing double duties with the um, Trans Ams and the S5000s. But also thinking about it, like even how good was it that Chaz raced in one of the TCR races to cap off his championship there? And even having, um, I think it was fitting having uh, Will Brown be the fastest in provisional qualifying and him showing like he was the the, um, TCR TCR champion last year. And he's, and he's come from that into supercars. And I think it shows um, sort of like a, a bit of a pathway. Even even seeing um, what's it, the guy who was teamed up with uh, with LeBrock in the... In the Zach in, Best. Yeah, Zach Best. He came through um, Super 2s um, and has really been showing his talent there. So showing all the categories um, up on one day and showing and sort of seeing where drivers have come through over the years was awesome as well. I think and something that the, we don't really get to see that often. I thought one of the greatest um, like testimonials that we could have had from the weekend was Chris Meese flying in oh, from yeah. Germany, doing quarantine, missing the first day of racing to jump into the into both TCR and GT World Challenge Australia just to get three days of racing out of it, purely because he loves racing at this circuit. And this is a guy who's performed at the Bathurst 12-hour, who's you know, a Porsche factory driver has raced at Daytona. Audi. Uh, sorry, Audi has raced at Daytona, has raced at Nürburgring 24, Spa 24. And he's just finished this season and thought, rather than, than having a break, I'm going to go down to Bathurst, quarantine for 70, for 72 hours, miss a bit of racing, but still get out there, enjoy TCI, enjoy GT World Challenge, and then be able to watch the Bathurst 1000. I mean, I Did don't you... know if it can get any more... Um, it can show anymore what the spectacle is that we're presenting in Australia for the rest of the world. Did you see the funny video he put on his Facebook um, when he, when he got, when he, when his quarantine was finished? Yeah. (laughs) 
yeah. it's a funny he, he loves coming down he even used to come down for that um for the um, time attack, they used to come at no, the time oh, attack yeah, they used yeah. to do at the end yeah. of the year for Bathurst as well. Yeah, um, yeah. I honestly, thought it was. It. I hope. I hope that it. This has opened a few doorways of getting maybe the Bathurst weekend extended by a day. Get maybe one or two more categories out there um, in the future. But, um, and I suppose legit, like this year, like this is a year that everyone's been aching for some motorsport. So probably everything fell into place and no one was going to complain about it. But I do, and I, but I do hope that maybe not, maybe not all of them, because I think the TCRs would like to run their own 400 kilometer one race event there, but just um, embracing that Bathurst weekend a bit more and just putting a few, few more of the, um, these awesome categories on display. I think it was I'd awesome. Love to, I'd love to see TCR do their 400 event on the Saturday of the Bathurst 12 hour. Um, that yeah, that would be, be that, like that would be split awesome. Split up, split up all those categories between the two main events. But um, I mean, hopefully, what we realise from this is that Supercars has a chance to make even more of you know the the flagship event of their season, which is obviously the Bathurst One Thousand. Um, I guess just yeah. quickly, the one thing I took from it was that's the first time in a very very long time that I was all the categories other than supercars in Australia were visible to, to everyone. Um, yep. You know, TCR and S5000 aren't really the most popular categories and I know they're kind of new, but that was the first time where I had other people talking to me about it. It wasn't just, you know, a really niche thing. So I thought that was really cool. Yeah. I think, I think supercars has finally realized that they've got the power and they don't have to be worried about other categories competing for dominance with them anymore. I mean, I think they were very worried about the um, GT scene sort of stealing from them a couple of years back. And I think they're sort of now very settled in their own skin saying that we are still top dog and we're always going to be top dog because we're supercars. But the ability to and, and to, to put on a good show, like everyone, like you're putting on a show, that, that's what you're doing. You're selling tickets, you're putting on a show. So why not have some of the most competitive racing available there um, for the, for all the fans to see? Because no one's going to be like, oh, I really love that that TCR race over the, the 161 Bathurst 1000 race. But in terms of if you're going there paying money as well to get a full couple of days of racing of, like of action, there's no breaks. It's just continuous. You couldn't ask for a better event of spent your money to go see. And even if you're at home watching it on the couch, you could have your TV on for literally five days from lunchtime till six in the afternoon, even probably before that, like 11, and just great racing, literally nonstop. And that's not even throwing in those um, Gen 3, uh, what are they called, siding laps that they threw in there as well. That was awesome. That's probably a good a good chance for us to start looking at some of the specifics from the weekend. The first major bit of information that was dropped on Friday was the release of the Gen 3 Camaro and Mustang. We won't linger on this for too long right now. We've got a whole year to break down the new formula for supercars, but we finally have our first reveal for what supercars going to look like moving forward. And I just want to get both of your initial reactions on, um, the Gen 3 Mustang and Camaro. You go, H. Um, yeah, sure. I, I thought they looked awesome. Um, 
Yeah, I know you two weren't a massive fan of the Kamara livery, or was it just Joey? I loved it. I wasn't. I wasn't yeah. a fan. I just thought that that they did the Mustang one better. So I preferred the the Camaro, but in terms of scale, you could tell that the scale of the car was a lot better than the current generation of cars. Like the Mustang looked like a Mustang, yeah. um, and then you you see it, you know, on Sunday you see the the current Mustang supercars going around the track and they do look a bit bastardized. So I'm excited for that. I'm excited for, um, you know, all, all the new rules, you know, the, 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 the reduction in the downforce and all that, just to see how it affects the racing. And I think we spoke about it last week, how supercars currently is one of the categories around the world that even though cars come off the production line in different factories, they are still so close. I'm interested to see how that affects it next year when the cars are all very similar. A lot more uniform. Mm. What about you, Joey? What was your initial reaction? I'm in, I'm in love. Um, <laughs> like from the, from the, what did I say last week? From every inch of me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, I'm in love. I think they've done a great job um, capturing the, uh, the essence and the shape of the cars, like they look like road cars, even though mm. we know that they're not. Um, they sound amazing, like, and we knew that they were going to sound amazing, but to have confirmation that they sound amazing is awesome. Um, honestly, it, this is for me, I was thinking, I was thinking this is a, a return to the past in probably like the early 2000s when the cars looked like a, a, a Commodore and a Falcon literally off the road with a, with a rear wing. Yeah, they brought this, back this, a lot of market relevance with these yeah, cars. Yeah, I mean, they're definitely playing the um, the nostalgia game right uh, and well. And I was I was interested today. I went through the the um, they put up the a video on YouTube Supercars did of when they were doing the siding laps, and I just was reading through the comments. I was thinking, oh, what's the What's the um, opinion like the, the fan opinion of this and overwhelming um, consensus that this is the right way, like awesome looking cars, the right way for supercars to move. I mean, I think then the one thing that we're going to see now is a debate over the paddle shift or the um, stick shift. And I really hope they stick with this, um, the stick shift because like that's number one, what the fans want. And I think that's a, a, a flavor of supercars that we don't want to lose. Um, but in general, I'm, I'm a massive fan. And I was always going to be a fan if they did it right. And, and by God, they've done it right. Do you think that the fact that um, they've pushed back the release of, you know, or the racing of the Gen 3 till 2023, that, the, um, that this release might excite some other manufacturers to try to get involved, realizing that there's a little bit more time. Now, obviously, if they're starting from scratch, it's going to be still multiple years away from being in the category. But with the release of these cars in 2023, would it be feasible potentially to see another manufacturer 2025, you know, after seeing how relevant this these new Falcons and Camaros look? I mean, that's, I think... When I was obviously looking at the car, I thought, yeah, this is awesome for for Mustang, not Falcon, sorry, Mustang and Camaro. Um, but also, if I'm another manufacturer, I also want to get on, get in on the action. I mean, and I had, you know, I was talking to someone about it on, on um, Friday afternoon, and they're saying, what about a car like the Dodge Charger? 
that could very easily be put into that particular category as well, as well as a lot of, you know, the, the manufacturers we were talking about last week, things like BMW, You can, you can fit Mercedes. any sports car in this category now. Yeah, and that's that's and that hopefully you could fit that NIS, that new Nissan Z four hundred in this thing perfectly. Mm-hmm. It, I, I really could see Toyota to jumping on board. It's you definitely what, something though? to salivate over. You know what? I honestly don't care anymore. Like I was really into the whole get as many manufacturers in, and I still am in that in that group. But two two manufacturers done well, mm-hmm. I think, is a better prospect than six manufacturers and four of them done badly yeah or not or, or half-heartedly should i say do you think yeah. that's one of the reasons why they went so road significant to get more manufacturers in yeah 100 percent. i think they realized their mistakes from the last gen like it wasn't it wasn't um catering enough for all mm. the categories and like now if, if you think about having to assemble a team um it's definitely a lot easier. Like we said last week, you could literally slap any of these two engines in the car, let alone a third option. Like you, you could just put one in there. Um, you know, I was kind of, you know, we were talking last week about some of those manufacturers that could be joining and I, it got me thinking. And obviously we've, we've brought up a few names. Harry just brought up Toyota. And I was thinking with Toyota in particular, we, we don't, we haven't really considered that they're already racing in NASCAR with, a very similar package and engine. So it would be very easy for them to, you know, try to get into supercars. And then I was just thinking about, again, some other road cars, obviously my, well, not obviously, but my wife has a Honda Civic and I'm like, you know, even something like that car could very easily be adapted for the new supercars rig. So it really opens up the opportunities for many, obviously a better version of the Honda Civic. So I'm thinking, well, will they, Come in, spend two or three years, and then pull out again, then wait Honda. another couple of years, then come back <laughs> yeah, in and knows? pull out again. Who knows? <laughs> uh, but I think what we'll do is we'll leave the Gen Three conversation there for now. We've we've got we've got twelve months to really unpack it, so that's something that we can really look forward to, particularly as development increases. Um, but let's move into the Bathurst weekend proper and talk about some supercars. The first thing that we really probably want to dive into is the um, top 10 shootout. That was one of the most engaged. I mean, we say that every year because a top 10 shootout is always quite, you know, an entertaining package. But this year in particular, um, I felt like it really had me, you know, ting. I had like, not tingles, but it really got me on the edge of my seat when we saw... Um, Cam Ward or Kostecki go out and do an absolutely blistering lap that wasn't beaten for a little while. Cam Waters went out, nearly put the his car in the wall twice and managed to go faster than Kostecki. I thought, you know, that was an awesome lap. And then we saw Chaz Mostert go out and, and really showed just how good his car was hooked up, broke McLaughlin's lap record for, I think, maybe two years ago or so. Um, and that probably was the precursor for extremely dominant weekend but how did you guys find the the top 10 shootout did you see anything else that i've missed out i think what you said is 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 correct the one thing i i don't think we've seen before Mm. is that much congestion of time that high up you know i mean like the times the times was, was so fast but it wasn't just one team fast it wasn't like p2 
Penske one car and then it, like half a second ahead of everyone else. The the um like the top six cars, it was a Mostert in the Walkinshaw, you had the Tickford car, you had Erebus cars, um, you had the Gisbergen Tri- wasn't too far off. cars. Like per there were cat. so many cars, there were so many cars within such a small margin, all different teams. I thought was um, was amazing. Like one thing that that keeps surprising me every time we come back to Bathurst, the more time you give these teams to go around that mountain, the quicker they get. And I think this year in general, I don't know if it's because they had the races there at the start of the year. There's just more time on the track. But my goodness, they are getting they they're getting. It's not even. It's not even like it's a it's an endurance race anymore. It's so quick. Every yeah. lap, like um, I don't want to talk about the race yet, but even like looking at the race pace was so much higher than what it usually is. It's insane. Yeah. What about you, Harry? Um. I, yeah, I, I really enjoy the top ten shootout. It's like a a one shot quali. Um. I think it has its place in in other categories as well, but. I um I just wanted to ask you guys, you know, coming from a Formula One background, we hear the term track evolution a lot and all that kind of stuff. With the one, the one shot quali, um, do you get that evolution as much, yeah. or is it? Yeah, you definitely can see like like when if you watch it enough, like some years you'll see a bit of cloud cover come in, and the cars that get that cloud cover have an actual massive yield um, of results, and even like sometimes you'll see a car that goes out first gets a mad lap in and then some rain comes down or a bit of moisture comes down and the cars at the back end really struggle. Um, well, so, yeah, there's... Because yeah. it's, it's, it's like over an hour as well, isn't it? The top About 10 shootout. Minutes. Yeah, so it's I, I definitely most, enough time for it to most, change. The most interesting thing, I wouldn't say it's track evolution in the sense that a lot of rub is being laid down that makes it more grippy. I think it's more... Yeah, being lucky with when you get to go. Because I mean, sometimes we even see, you know, the fast, the you know, the slower cars go out and it's cloudy, and then by the time the fastest cars are going out, it's raining. So there's also element of, you know, you've, you 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 kind mean, of you're yeah, you're just dealt the hand that the mountain gives you because it's such a you know dynamic situation up there. Um, so I wouldn't yep. say it's track evolution based on the cars, but it's more based on the climate of the area. Which yep. makes it, which spices it up as well. The other thing that you always see is that no matter how fast the first car goes out, and you think, "Wow, that's fast for a top ten shootout lap," yeah, it just gets quicker. Like um, there, there was a, there's a sort of a thing that if you, if you can do a, a top ten shootout lap that's around the same time as your qualifying lap, like you should, um, be in really good shape. But I think like this year. I think they were doing quicker laps. Slade did that, and he dropped, and he finished yeah. sixth. You know what I mean? Like you can, it, it this year, like the pace was, it was so intense. Like everyone was on it from at a level that we have never, that we haven't seen before. I would have loved to see Scott McLaughlin involved in this kind of top ten shot because I think it would have been a lot more, in, uh, like it would have been interesting. Just, twice. just, yeah, yeah. I, I really enjoyed it. I think you know. In a category like Formula One on these stupid sprint race weekends, you could have a one-shot quality to set the grid. Like, yeah. I think that adds more jeopardy into it. I think it's, I think it's a really good concept. Adds a spectacle too, right? Mm. A real hundred cool percent. It definitely, it definitely is a, um, the sort of not. It's not the highlight of the weekend, but in terms of, um, like, if you wanted to 
entice someone into the into the sport mm. is probably the, the best showcase of of V8 supercars all year. That top ten shooter, it is co- commentated well, shot well, um, and it, it makes its own drama. Yeah, go Harry. Speaking of the commentary, one of the reasons why I stopped watching it was the commentary. Man, that's come it's come a long way. Um, Scafey is like the Martin Brundle of supercars. He is awesome. Um, I really enjoyed the commentary when I when I was able to watch it this weekend. I, th- I thought they were on point. I think the coverage is awesome. Um, yeah, I'm spewing that I've been out of it for so long, to be honest. You found it. You found it. I'm actually envious of you that you get you get to like relive this. Yeah, to explore <laughs> the category for a few years and be like, this is something that's actually so yeah. awesome. Let's jump. Let's jump into a few more specifics from the racing guys. So the first thing that I had in my notes was the resurgence of Erebus continues. I mean, obviously they were really good at Sydney Motorsport Park, and they just seem to have, you know, picked the ball up and continued to roll with it, um, or to run with it at Bathurst. They were really quite fast all weekend. I mean, Will Brown put the car on the provisional pole. Um, it was his first shootout, so we didn't really see the best of him in the in the um, Saturday event. However, um, early in the race, they were looking quite good. Kostecki was strong throughout the race and also through qualifying. Even through practice, he just wasn't stitching up the last sector, it seemed. But um, just, what do you make quickly, of that? Just quickly, I'm going yeah. to interrupt. You said that they, they, they didn't do the top 10 shooter as well as they probably could have. They still I remember just, I, they... They were still yeah. fourth and fifth until they got yeah. their penalties. Yeah, but so I think it's still a decent result. 100%. But I just thought, like, with Brown, the time he said in with the provisional poll, um, you know, obviously he had a bit of time to wind up to that. He jumped into his first shootout going out last. There would have been a bit of pressure in that regard. The fact that he didn't stick it in the wall and, you know, qualified in fourth was a positive in and of itself. But um, I think we'll just see more and more from him as he gets more familiar with that particular scenario. But I'm being really impressed with Erebus, to be honest with you. Um, they look quite strong. They've got new sponsorship for next year. Fully backed team with Boost Mobile. More um, money. Which is more money, which is awesome. Uh, and then we also heard the news that for 2023, Boost Mobile is ready to come in as a as its own team and to run Erebus machinery. So that's, a, that's another positive for supercars in that regard. So I don't know if you guys have anything else to add to that. I think, um, the, like, the, what um, I think them getting the Boost Mobile sponsorship, you know, in a, in and of itself is awesome for them. They definitely like really deserve it. And um, I know that um, Peter Adderton, the owner of Boost Mobile, is very much into um, like show me you can do the job without my money, and then I'll give you my money kind of thing. He's very much a, a hard baller like that, which is fair enough. Like it is his money. Um, but in terms of running two rookie drivers, they have had an amazing season. Like they really have. They've taken it to the, they've taken it to the to the well better funded, bigger teams. Like the uh, big boys. Tri- yeah, they've taken it to the big boys, and they've they've in some ways made them look silly. Some some ways they've 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 made them look ordinary. But realistically, they've just stood there and they and they can stand proud of the body of work that they've put together this year. And I think the podium is um, an awesome reward for them for their hard work as well, to be honest. Um, they run really well. 
their what's his name? The team principal gets a bit of Harry Ryan. Of, yeah, gets a bit of slack for being a bit of a hard ass, but um, they get the results. And I, I think, think I think them and um, the Blanchard Racing team this weekend really showed that a bit of organisation and a well-run team, no matter what the size of the budget, can really do well um, in the sport. The thing um, that I really like about Erebus that people don't talk about enough is, you know, we see teams um, like Team 18, and I have nothing against Team 18. I think they're, you know, they're a really good outfit. But, you know, people tend to say, if I've got a bit of money and I want to start a race team, let me buy my machinery from AAA and see if I can get the best machinery and try to get, you know, a few results using that. What I love about Erebus is, yes, they take their engines from Walkinshaw, but everything else that they do, it's all their own technology. It's all their own development. So it's good to see another team in supercar that's investing in developing, you know, a race car themselves, get the rewards that they deserve from it. Um, and I, I'm, you know, I can't say enough about how, how well they've performed this year, but particularly in the last five races to end the season. And I think they put themselves in really good stead to finish off the season or to finish off this particular iteration of, you know, the car of the future next year's, you know, with, you know, two more, um, a little bit more, two more, more experienced drivers um, who have kind of shown how good they can be. Um, but I just thought that was something to make mention of. Um, the other thing about Airbus quickly is that their team was 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 gutted at the end of yeah. last year. They yeah. lost their two main drivers. They lost their best engineer, McVeigh. I think they lost another engineer. As well. uh, they lost Mirko Mark, as well. Mirko De Rosa, so yeah. they lost their two engineers and the two main drivers, and they've come back to a bit of time to get the ball going. And now they're, they're literally probably in a better place than they were at the end of last year, which is amazing. Like They're in a like, better situation than... With the exception of Deep Pasquale, they're in a better situation than, you know, any of the people that left. You know, they're in a better situation than Grove, who took Reynolds. They're in a better and, and McVeigh, and they're in a better situation than the Blanchard Racing team, who took Mirko De Rosa. So, regardless of what they've lost, they've still managed to to bounce back from that. Um, going into the race, the first, you know, really big thing to talk about was probably how much green flag running we had. At the start of the race, it really, I think it might have been close to 100, and, 100 laps, and we no, only had one 70, safety car. 70 or eight. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. We were at, I think we we're at 100 and over the 100 laps with only one safety car, to be honest with you, which was fascinating. The only safety car was for the power steering issue with with the um, Erebus car. Um, no, even Randall went into the. In, oh, so it's uh, for Randall, not corner. for yeah, because the Erebus car was able to get back into the pits. So, but apart from that, you know, it was it was quite, you know, it was quite an interesting bath. So I didn't remember a Bathurst where there was that much green running. And what it really showed to me was just how dominant that twenty-five Walkinshaw car was. It was pulling out almost a second a lap, like clockwork, coming down the mountain. They um, a tire delaminated. They lost the lead of the race. Had to change their strategy um, to everybody else. And even after all of those issues, they were still able to overcome them and regain another 40 second advantage before the safety car came out. So, I mean, if we're talking about a team that definitely was on to win the great race and it was looking fairly ominous for everyone else, I think the fact that there was that much green flag running kind of just made all the other teams realize just how good 
that 25 car was. Um, you have anything to add about about that? Me? Yeah. Me, probably I'm, do. I'm, you probably have a few I'm, things I'm, to add. <laughs> I could be here all night, mate, if you, if, yeah. you give me the, if you give me the mic. Yeah. Um, all right, let's start with a stat. So the last car that started on pole and won the race, 2009, Mark Scaife. Scaife. Right. Um, boom. Um, mic drop. Boom. <laughs> I'm, I'm done. I'm going to sleep. I don't know why that's a boom, but anyway. No, so, like, so it doesn't. It doesn't. Yeah, because it doesn't it, happen that long. It doesn't yeah. happen very often. All right, it doesn't happen. Boom, boom, boom. Everybody's there. Hey, yo. Actually, I don't even think it was Scaife. I think Scaife was too late. Um, anyway, but 2009, that's the last time it happened. Um, for uh, Walkinshaw, the last time they'd won a Bathurst was 2011, uh, which was 10 years ago. So that's, that's sort of where the story begins. In terms of as, as a team, Walkinshaw haven't rolled off at any track in the last seven, seven years and been the car, like the car you want to be at. Except maybe when Tanda won Sandown that year uh, in the last year of HRT. Other than that, they've never been the um, the car you're chasing for like into in like all their luck that they've built has been on good strategy call. They've never been the fastest car. Um, and when when Chaz set that lap in in the um, top ten shooter, I thought, oh snap, that this is actually the um, the car that you want, like they've been in the top three every session in, through practice and practice is practice. Like, you know, you, you can't, you can see yeah. a lot in there, but you can't see everything. But once um, the qualifying came through and he was third, I was like, oh yeah, okay, this is, um, this is real. And then when he was fastest in the top 10 shooter, I was like, okay, this team has got all the pressure and they've got the fastest car. And when they threw Holdsworth in the, car at the start of the race and he set the fastest lap for the race on lap four with a full tank it was like a 2059 or something like that man needs to be back in on the supercars group. you know what i don't i don't um yeah quickly go to harry what we what, we, what you want to ask me i just um is this is, is the investment from andretti and walking short starting to Thanks. come to fruition no, I, have, I, yeah. I, know, I know anthony has what he wants to say in this but i want mm-hmm. to say something as well mm-hmm. um so uh andretti and and um united uh what they bring to the team is capital like that is the, their biggest superpower that they're bringing to the team i think and no one, and, and this is probably the only moment you could really stop to think about it. I think that a lot of the credit and, and credit where it's due has to go to Ryan Walkinshaw because at the start of his reign as team principal, he was probably the laughing stock, stock of the category. A bit of a, uh, like a, a ladies' man sort of playboy kind of vibe came from him. And, um, it was the next DJ. He went from being yeah, a he was, DJ. He was, he was a, he was He's a DJ. Son. He was a yeah. So yeah. he's a DJ event um, event planner, and he this he says this in the Walk on Shore documentary they did as well. And he came in like at a young age to run probably the most coveted team outside of F one teams in motorsport, like one of them anyway. Um, and if you if you want to put the pieces together over the last couple of years, they snagged Mostert with. Um, with his engineer, what's his name? I've been watching 
Adam DeBore, and then they snagged uh, Grant McPherson from Triple Eight. They took um, the engineer from British Touring Car Championship, the one who won the um, the first championship of Subaru with Ash with Sutton. All of, yeah, with all of those things that you're saying, I, I agree that he's put he's put of, the pieces in place for that team to build some success. That's but for I sure. also he's I spending, also spending also, money where he I needs also, to. I also don't think it's a coincidence that a lot of those hires coincide with when the investment came in from Andretti. I think the other thing that you have to, that we, I don't know if we're privy to, but it definitely was early on a lot of the development for HSV racing, which was at the time when Holden racing team left, there was a lot of development that was also happening at the Andretti factory in America in relation to development as well. But on top of that, on the top last of that, two years. on top of that, please, you can't get salty now. <laughs> I'm not being salty. No, no, let him finish. You, let him finish. You can't say that a team that has the credentials that Andretti has, you know, in IndyCar, in pretty much anything it does, it has relative levels of success, and in some situations, very high levels of success. You can't say that a a company like that coming and joining your race team isn't going to make it better at the very least it's going to bring a culture of success and pressure okay to perform and if 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 that investment from andretti and from zach brown and the united order and united group okay if at the very least it gave walkinshaw the you know the capital to purchase drivers like um mostert and to bring his engineer along etc then that is Definitely, that means that they're part of the story of success. And at the very most, you know, hopefully it might have helped Walkinshaw realize that it's no longer his team. You know, he's got other people invested as well. Um, and that he has to, you know, there has to be success, you know, relatively quickly because the buck no longer just stops with him. Well, it, has, it definitely hasn't been relatively quickly. No, but it has been it's quickly been in relation five to... Years. Well, yeah, but it takes time say, in motorsport. I would say that in relation to since Andretti became involved in Walkinshaw, they've definitely improved year upon year. I think that's a very a, a fairly clear statement. And if you think about Penske joining Supercars, yes, they've had more success than than Andretti, but it, even for them, it took a little bit of time to get um, the DGR team, you know, to any level. It took them, I think, three years to get any level of success. So, sorry to answer your question, Harry. I do think that there's a direct correlation between the investment, particularly from Andretti, who I think owns 40% of the team now, um, and the success that we're seeing, not just at Bathurst, because they they obviously came third in Bathurst last year, they came fourth in the championship, but Mostert and the whole team has been a lot more competitive. And I think when you think about Bryce Forward and Luff also finishing Bathurst in fifth, it showed that that team had not just the 25 car, but also the, the number two car was dialed in fairly well as well. You think this kind of victory and the season there having kind of sets them up for a, a run at the championship for Gen 3? 2023? I think 2022, Yeah. I, I would say this. I think um, Bathurst for, for the team has been one of their best tracks every year. It's it's weird. It's like really weird. Like they can have the the worst the worst season in the world, but when it comes to Bathurst, they're always dialed in. 
But one thing that they've never had is that they've never had outright pace. They're always really good on strategy at Bathurst. Like every, like clock, I think they've had uh, four or five podiums in the last six or seven years at Bathurst. Like it, it's, it's ridiculous. Um, but this year, and, and, and this is probably down to the Chaz factor. Like you can go sign, like you can go sign one of the special talents in the sport. Massive. Uh, and also, like, it's not even just the Chaz thing. This is that they put the best talent they've had in a car for probably 10 years. With the They took the best co-driver that you could get. Day one, he lost his contract. He was signed up for them. Like, that's something that Triple Eight do all the time and Penske do all the time. And Penske actually haven't done it as well as Triple Eight. But the first day Holdsworth lost his job, he was signed up with Walkinshaw, like, great foresight and it was it's something that, that the big boys do um but in terms of then executing the plan and 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 having a, a problem free race i think um that was that was that could be and this isn't even like being biased as a fan i do not remember a car being that dominant like that one-sided at the um at bathurst for a long time do you have I think some of those um, forward wins that Triple Eight took with Wind Cup and Lounge were pretty. Yeah, I'm saying like since good. like it's been yeah, one it's driver. been a long it's been a long time. I don't think we've ever seen a car that far ahead. I mean, yeah, last they were year half a minute ahead at one stage. Yeah, when I mean, when you think and when you think about the people that they were racing with for the majority of the race, it was Cam Waters in the Tickford Ford, it was Shane Van Gitsbergen in the Triple Eight. Last year, those two guys were having literally a heavyweight bout for six hours to get to the end of that race. And, you know, water and waters, Mostert was driving away from them with relative ease. And even after the plethora of safety cars that we saw towards the end of that race, I mean, within half a lap, not even within a few corners, he was already half a second ahead of the rest of the field. So that car, you know, was ultra dominant and, uh, I, you know, it really just deserved to win. It deserved to win. Its drivers deserved to win. The team deserved to win. Um, and I think it's a, it's, it's something different to what we normally see at Bathurst. But at the same time, I think the story that, that we got from it, particularly with the team and the drivers and, you know, everything that, you know, that, you know, team has gone through over the last 10 years made for a really great story to finish off that race as well. I Even think, though it wasn't a tight race like that we normally see. It wasn't a tight race, but I think in terms of like they're the races when you, if you think about it, like you have all the pressure on you to, de- to deliver. Cause I think Lee Holder yeah. said it the best. You never get the perfect car on those, um, on those weekends. And, and probably the last time someone had a perfect car was probably the year that Jamie Winkup ran out of fuel. Like that car was the fastest all weekend and some bad strategy at the end of the race really, ended the race for them. And then actually the year that Scott McLaughlin won, he had the fastest car as well. Like he was not that dominant, but he had the fastest car. And then they had that whole holding up the rest of the grid um, on the safety car. That, that no, I should have used that as an example in my bloody... You should have used that. Max Verstappen that as, against Hamilton. As, as dirty tactics, yeah. yeah. So you, you, you foolish, foolish man. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so I think when um, Holdsworth said, you never have the, that kind of perfect car, but then all the pressure's on you to deliver it when you do because you don't yeah. get those opportunities yeah. often. 
100%. I think he was really speaking from his 17 years of trying to win, to win Bathurst. Um, I was going to say something and I forgot because I've got so many things to say because I'm, That's all right. I'm peaking. I'll, I'll, but yeah, you I'll, keep going. I'll prompt you because I yeah. don't have too much time left on this battery. Um, the next <laughs> thing that we probably need to talk about is Triple Eight. Oh, sorry, I've got it, and then we'll talk about Triple Eight. Yeah, I think this is the this is a a milestone um, for the team where they go from being the team that's referred to as the, the XHRT racing team to now, like, I think this will solidify them as WAE. as as WAE going forward. Like, this is they've like they have finally arrived, and people and they and they'll be start being known as that entity rather than that old H, Holden Racing team. You know what I mean? Yep. And what a livery! It's probably the best one on the grid. I don't. I'm not a fan of the, a lot of the supercars I liveries, that. but I love that color. That, that that livery is just oh, awesome. Anthony's looking you, at me I'll, like I'll you're an idiot. I'll tell you this from the front, <laughs> from the front with the mobile one on the bonnet. I don't think there's anything more iconic in supercars. Yeah, mobile one. Go, go is ahead. number Lahoon. Go ahead. He's he's going to come at it from a design perspective. Let's go. Let's do it. Uh, no, no, I'm not. I'm. I just. I don't know. I don't he doesn't like the favorite. appliances online. He he likes he likes um the monster grill, no, I which is a wicked car as well. I actually too. think that the middies walking short is no. better than the monsters online. No. I love that pink the pink car. Nah, but nah. I think the best the best liveries in supercars are the what's it called cars, Team Eighteen, nah. and Erwin cars. They I think the better. I think the nicest car is um. Cam Waters is a nice car. Is Cam Waters and, and and James Courtney? Yeah, we can talk about liveries and that a lot. Penrite, and that Penrite Mustang this week looked. Oh, that was she was a ripper. She was a ripper. Too bad it wasn't it wasn't next to the top. But probably the most important. Well, let's finish on this because we're already pushing forty minutes. Um, Are you serious? Yeah, well, time we flies when you're having fun, boys. Mate, you could talk forever. Haven't so, even you know about Jamie Wincup yet. That's what I want to talk about now. Um, but the thing that surprised me is after this great win that you've had for Walkinshaw, Joe, you're still wearing your bloody BMW T-shirt. Why wouldn't you slap on the <laughs> um, the Walkinshaw polo so sitting, just to I'm celebrate? Sitting here, I'm sitting here for two hours and that thing's made out of fucking polyester and I sweat like a pig <laughs> in it. <laughs> Listen, mate, we're trying to keep we're trying to keep a younger audience as well, mate. You keep oh, dropping sorry. your you keep dropping your bombs because you keep People saying are... stupid things, mate. It upsets. I thought that I thought that with the dub it wouldn't have mattered. You could have worn a HRT jacket if you needed Mate, to. I've had, yeah. I've had my shower. I've had my shower now. I'm ready. I'm ready to hit the sack. Like I'm not going to go in there for another shower. Well, let's, let's, well, let's help you get into the sack. Let's talk about this last <laughs> key point from the race. <laughs> oh, good let's, brother, wingman. <laughs> let's talk about Triple Eight. Um, wasn't the most memorable race for them, unfortunately. Van Gisbergen um, pretty much did everything he could to make it a race against Mostert, and even his talents couldn't really keep it close. Towards the end of the race, he had a front tyre delamination that took him out, dropped him to 18th. Um, Wind Cup and Lounds were both pretty unfortunate. They were doing well early on. They double, they were double stacked, pushed them to the back. I well, they double stacked. They could have been double stacked twice. Double stacked twice, and they were still managed fourth. to come back to, to yeah. So that was quite an impressive recovery drive. Um, but I think the most important things to talk about is number one, Brock Feeney until his accident with what twenty laps to go. That's the number one. <laughs> it's the first thing. 
I was really impressed. Look the real deal. Um, and I've that been, was. I've been um thinking about him all weekend because he's he's definitely got a lot of hype on him. Well, he won super twos this week. We'll start yeah. with that. But he like was in the top ten, you know, with twenty laps to go before he made that slight error, um, coming to um, McPhillamy Park. Like, actually, could have been at the great, um, and and hit the wall and ended up in McPhillamy Park. But apart from that, you know, they've got Triple um, A have a really young talent to take over from Jamie Wincup, and that's kind of where we'll go now. Today was Jamie Wincup's. Or well, this weekend was Jamie Wincup's last race. Seven-time champion in supercars. Three times Bathurst champion. Four. Four-time. We'll go down as debatable. I don't know. Maybe unanimously. 120-plus wins. The greatest supercar racer of all time. And co- pretty much competitive from start to finish, which is unheard of. What legacy does he leave in supercars? Um and and obviously he's leaving while he's still you know won races this year. Is there still a little bit of juice left in the tank for him? Other than not winning championships in the years he hasn't won his championships, he's come second. Like that's the that's that's the kind of winner we're talking about. He's won seven championships, and in the three and the the four he hasn't won in that time, he came second in all of them. Um. He's taken more wins than anyone now, including Lowndes. He's taken more poles than anyone. He's got more podiums than anyone. The only thing he doesn't have more than anyone is Bathurst wins, but he's got four, which is definitely enough. Um, and who's to say he's not going to get another one as a co-driver? So that's still open. I think undisputably he's the greatest um, driver of all time in the sport. And if undisputedly, you, undis, it's undisputed. No one's got seven championships and then four seconds to follow that up. I mean, he's been named in the Hall of Fame this weekend, which I think was a beautiful touch from the sport. Um, and I think looking at other drivers who have left the category, like he's done it gracefully yeah. and on his own terms. Like you yeah. never like guys like Garth Tander, guys like Craig Lowndes. Um, they you, you never really get that fairy tale ending. And I mean, he was winning, he won races in his last year. How many how many drivers get to do that at that age as well? Yeah. Um, I think I think one interesting, and we won't really talk about it tonight, but I think it might be a good topic for maybe an off season in review. Yeah, an off season, maybe an off season discussion is obviously he won all those championships. He's, you know, undebatably probably the goat of supercars. But you know, some of those other talents that we saw coming up with him, some people like Marcus Ambrose who left to go to NASCAR, someone like Scott McLaughlin who left to go to IndyCar, who probably had just as much talent as Wincup, um, but, you know, didn't display that particular longevity in the category, you know, might have a claim to make for, you know, being the most talented supercar drivers, but I think it's undebatable how good he's been for the sport, how much of a positive ambassador he's been. And obviously he's going into a position now where he's taking over from Roland Dane. And that's really, I think, where we should... This should probably be where we end the podcast, talking about someone who um, has had a huge impact on supercars. I mean, Roland Dane came into supercars, I think it was 13 years ago, with Team Better Electrical. Started fairly humbly, but very quickly turned that team into 
an absolute juggernaut of the sport. Um, they've been you know the the best team of the last two decades. You know, it's been pretty clear to see. Um, you know, and obviously he's at a point now where he's leaving the the race team. So, do you th- the question that I probably want to pose is, does losing a figurehead like that for Triple Eight, well, what impact does it leave? I'm gonna say this with the utmost respect, and this is gonna sound bad. It won't sound bad. I honestly don't think it's gonna change anything, and the reason I say that is because um, the team that that has been like the team that has been running that team for this whole time consists of the same people. I mean, Roland was there at the start and um, the team principal Dutto was there at the start. Jamie Wincup was there at the start. They've lost um, McPherson and, and, and Couchy now, um, but they've always been able to replace their team, uh, their, their engineers really well. Like they lost Ludo a couple of years ago and that, that didn't slow them down. Um, one thing I want to say is that I think Roland Dane, um, even though he probably comes, doesn't come across as probably the happiest guy in the grid, like how Ryan's story does, is the sole reason why supercars have become so professional. He brought a professionalism to the sport that every team had to adapt to or die. Um, and he and he took he, he him taking that Triple Eight team to the heights that they received. And 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 the thing is, it hasn't. It hasn't been a cake for, for, uh, for them. They were a Ford team that then lost their Ford backing, ran as an independent, then ran as a Holden team against the Holden Racing team, was so good that the Holden Racing team, team which is Walkinshaw, got disbanded because they couldn't beat this independent team. And then Holden sent their allegiance uh, and their money to them. You know what I mean? So it's 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 a self-made team on, on, on a group of individuals that, demand excellence and i think that's not going to change like if you if you think that jamie wincup doesn't demand excellence and doesn't understand how that team has been running for the last 13 years i think you're sadly mistaken does does this rule wincup out of endurance races or does he still enter them he'll still do it yeah he'll still race he'll race with um shane van gisbergen next year and they'll be the best team on the (laughs) grid I think he'll actually race with Feeney. I think Van nah, Gisbergen. And I think Tander did a great job with Van Gisbergen over the last few years, and I don't know if he's... He if has. He, he definitely, definitely has. A seat. Um, yeah, I don't know. I think we'll leave it there, though, gents. I mean, we've had an awesome season of supercars. We've had five great race meets over the last six weeks. I mean, Harry's found a newfound love for the sport, and hopefully 2022 is able to nurture and cultivate and till that soil. To, you sound like you're it, doing a bloody homily. For it, it, no, uh, for oh, it to flourish into something, into something more beautiful. Do you have any closing comments or remarks to make, H? Ah, uh, mate, I think you covered it all with that that parting his comment. Soil, his maybe soil get, has been tilled. Maybe you get some of those year eight boys that you're doing food ag with to you know come out and start mixing the soil for you yeah. with their bare hands. That might do you want to help? Do you want to help Harry get in the sack, F? No, nah, mate. I'm gonna help all of you. I don't need help, mate. <laughs> he knows how to find his way home. All right, boys. Let's leave it there. He knows where every inch of his being. Yeah, every fiber. So, every fiber. Guys, we've got you know one more podcast coming up, which is the final race of the Formula One Championship next weekend um, from Abu Dhabi. 
um, then it gives us a little bit of chance to recalibrate, reboot, have a few off-season podcasts to preview and, and look at a few other things as well. But thanks for listening again, everyone. Please follow us on the socials, like, subscribe, whatever it is that you have to do, please do it. And most importantly, please keep sharing the word, um, getting other people to listen to this podcast. We greatly appreciate it. So, gents, thanks so much for your time this week. Have a great night. And I hope you find your ways, find your way back to the sack. And with oh, that, I thought we'll you leave would it there. say in Jesus' name, Amen. The way you were speaking. <laughs> <laughs> we'll thanks, leave it there, boys. boys. Have a great night. Take care. Yeah. Bye. Bye.